Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 23. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Now listen to the word. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests, Who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Amen. Well, we are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and one of the reasons, boys and girls, we are trying to really emphasize this for you is because we really want to impress upon all of you. Uh, This is true for all of us, no matter what your age is, but especially for those of you who are young, my desire as a pastor is that you would take Jesus Christ early in life, and the earlier the better. Now, many of you young people already uh, have taken Jesus Christ by faith, because you say, well, pastor, what does that mean to take Jesus Christ? It means to believe on Jesus Christ personally as your own Lord and your own Savior, that you are looking to Jesus Christ in all that he is and all that he has done, and you are owning him completely and entirely for yourself. You're not relying on yourself. You're not trying to rely on being a good boy or a good girl. You're not trying to rely on the fact that you go to church or the fact that you've been taught the Bible and other people don't know the Bible. But you're looking to Jesus Christ. You're saying, my hope and my help is in Jesus Christ. And this uh, is such an important need for the church today. We live in the West, and we are seeing a, a declension in the West of this need of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the greatest things that we need to do to offset uh, this trend, if we are to uh, reclaim, if you will, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in this culture, is to preach Jesus Christ, to show the supremacy of Christ, to show the the, the beauty of Christ. And and what I want to do is do this in two parts for you today. So this is, should be easy. I'm even cutting out a third point today. I mean, it just, you got two things to think about. Number one, I want you to think about the permanency of Christ as your priest. The permanency of Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ is your priest forever. And the second thing 
is, now this is a word that you don't hear every day, but it's an important word, the impeccability of Christ as your priest. The impeccability. Or just to put it very simply, it means that Jesus is without sin. That Jesus is perfect. That the Lord Jesus Christ has no imperfection uh, in him. And that he is the one that you can look to to transfer your sins onto him, but also receive from him the righteousness that you need. So does every kid here have that? You kids have that? You guys got that? The permanency of Jesus Christ, the impeccability of Jesus Christ. All right? The permanency of Christ, the impeccability of Jesus Christ. We uh, are going to see this from uh, two parts in the book of Hebrews here today. So let's first of all talk about the permanency of the priesthood of Jesus and why this is significant for you. And we take this up in sections uh, 23 to 25, verses 23 to 25 uh, in chapter 7 here. Look at verse 23. For the former priests on the, on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Now, first of all, you'll notice that the New American Standard uh, puts that in italics, the former priest, the, the word former here. That means that there isn't actually a Greek word behind it, but they are trying to help you, given the context of what's going on here, for you to realize that the priests that are in view in verse 23 are the Levitical priests. Now, if you were to go back to Leviticus chapter 8 and 9, you would see those, in those chapters that it was God who had appointed these priests. So these priests, in and of themselves, are not a bad thing. I don't want you to think that. They were given to God by design. But their design was always to be something of a temporary nature, pointing the people of God in their spiritual infancy to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Leviticus chapter 8, for example, you have the beginning of the consecration of Aaron and his sons. And so they were told the garments that they were to put on and the breastplate that the high priest was to wear with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the garments set for holiness and beauty put upon his head. And there's great description of this. The high priest was to be that mediator between the people of God and the Lord himself. And the high priest would wear this very fancy and ornate clothing uh, so that they recognized the specialness of the office. Now, one of the reasons we don't wear fancy clothing in the ministry today is because and, and this in the Protestants, we, we believe that that is because they wore that in the Old Testament to point people to Jesus. Now that we have Christ, ministers are not supposed to be wearing all the fancy garb that you see in certain churches and denominations here. They want to say, well, you know, we do it because it was done in the Old Covenant. You know, the Levites did it. Well, we're saying here, no, that was done very specifically so that they would see that this was a very special office and that the priests would go in, for example, once a year on the Day of Atonement into the very holy place and would offer blood for the people of God 
and for themselves and, and to atone for the sins of God's people. But as we'll see later, that that blood couldn't take away real sin. Now, it, God used it and accepted it on the basis of what God would do later in Jesus Christ. But now that Jesus Christ has come as our high priest, we don't have need for all the pomp and ceremony that they needed in the Old Testament. That, that pomp and ceremony had a special purpose. Uh, it was, as I've said s- several times before, it was like training wheels on the bicycle. It was to help them learn certain things. Now that Jesus Christ has come uh, as, the, as the one who is our high priest, uh, those ceremonial aspects of worship uh, have melted away in the person of Jesus Christ. But in its day, it was a very important thing. And so we're not here you know, saying it was bad any more than the Apostle Paul says that the law in the Old Testament was bad. No, the law was good if men know how to use it lawfully. And so it is with the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. It was a good thing in so far as you understand what its purpose was and what the intention of it was. So the Levitical priests um, would go and they would mediate through these sacrifices between the people of God and God himself. But in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus Christ into the world. And so Jesus Christ has come both as the priest, but also as the offering. Jesus Christ is both priest and offering. And we'll talk more about the offering part in the second point. But right now, I want you to see that the first part here is the permanency of Jesus Christ. It says here in verse 23, the former priests on the one end existed in greater numbers. That is, you could trace all the priests down through the ages, all the high priests, uh, beginning you know, with um, Aaron and then Eleazar and, and so on, uh, all the way down. But now you have Jesus Christ. In, they existed in greater number, but that didn't mean that they were therefore greater. In fact, the greater number of them, actually the author of Hebrews is arguing, shows that it was a weaker priesthood. That is, they had many priests through the ages serving at the temple. And why? Well, he says, because they were prevented by death from continuing. That is, that the priesthood was temporary, it was provisional. In one of the ways that we see this is because they died. And so we, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead, is a priest, but he is a priest who is a, now a permanent high priest. He's a permanent high priest. And therefore, you have comfort. You don't have to worry that Jesus Christ is later going to die. You don't have to, you don't have to worry that Jesus Christ is going to retire. You don't have to worry that Jesus Christ is going to be ill. Now, I say that this is a comfort for us uh, because it provides stability. And I don't think we appreciate the stability uh, of the permanency of Christ probably as we ought. And I say that chiefly because even as I was working through this material, 
I, it had not occurred to me that, that the idea of stability, we like that which uh, brings us a sense of stability. Um, it can be very troubling to us when there is turnover, but there is, there is a comfort and a security for our salvation in the permanency of Jesus Christ as the high priest. Let me give you some illustrations here. We experience this, uh, don't we, in our own regular ordinary lives. Uh, maybe you've had, for example, a particular mechanic that you always used. You always liked taking your car there. You felt a sense of security about it. And then he says, well, I'm retiring. And you're like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who can I trust with my car? Or maybe you've had that experience with a doctor. You know, you had a doctor, the same doctor from the time you were a young person. And that doctor announces that he's going to retire. And yes, they, you know, what, what is the first thing they tell you? Don't worry. Our, you know, our clinic is going to provide a new doctor for you. And you're like, well, who is it? I don't know who, you know. Or maybe you've even felt that way about a hairdresser or something. You know, the, you're always worried a little bit, aren't you? The first time somebody new is going to touch your hair. Well, how much more with something as important as our soul to realize that we have a stability in Jesus Christ that even the old covenant did not have. It was interesting when Queen Elizabeth died that there was a common thread of testimony in the comments of a lot of the British people of the sense of stability that having such a long uh, reigning monarch provided for them. You know, there were people who had all their life never known another monarch but Queen Elizabeth. She had reigned so long, boys and girls. And, and, this, and, the, and the opposite is true, too. The sense of instability when there's rapid turnover. You remember how it was kind of unsettling even for us in the West. Those of you who are older, you'll remember during the Reagan years. You remember, and we're in the midst of the Cold War um, with the Soviet Union, and you had that rapid turnover. You had Brezhnev, and then Brezhnev dies, and you have Andropov, and he dies, and you have Cherchenko, and he dies, and then you have Gorbachev finally, and you know, and there was this rapid succession. And we were wondering, you know, what does this mean? You know, it created a sense of instability. You know, the markets like stability. The markets, you know, those of you in finance, you know the, the truth. The market likes to have a sense that they know what's coming. Um, and I think maybe, you know, don't know, maybe this is why we nominate who we nominate for president. Because there's a familiarity. Better to nominate the guys that we're familiar with, despite their weaknesses, than to try somebody new. And I, you know, and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons. If they got a name Kennedy behind them, or maybe in Bush behind their name, hey, we, we kind of know the brand, you know? And, and we like that. Well, notice here, the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 24, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. There is a stability in Jesus Christ. There is a permanency in Jesus Christ. And with that stability and with that permanency comes a comfort for you and for me. 
You know, what's the hardest thing we're going to go through? What's one of the, the Bible says the last enemy that you and I are going to face is death. That should the Lord tarry, all of us are going to have to meet this challenge. And, you know, we do not want to underestimate the trial that that is. And it is, can be, for some believers, fraught with a lot of difficulty. And I think here is where, you know, Hebrews 7 really comes to help in this sense that, you know, when we feel like, am I going to make it? Is my faith going to make it? Am I going to persevere to my last breath? And we worry about those things, don't we? We worry that maybe, you know, maybe we'll lose hope in the Lord in the midst of extraordinary struggling. Maybe we'll have a darkness of the soul at the, at the last moment uh, where we're plunged into some kind of inner sense of agnosticism, and we worry about that. What do we do? Well, we, we cast our anchor, don't we, on Christ, the stability, the rock we have in Jesus Christ. We have a priest who has been there and more for you. Jesus Christ has tasted death for you and me. Jesus Christ knows in his human nature what it is to die. You and I don't know what it is to die yet, do we? We don't know what it is to have the cleavage of the body and the spirit, do we? We've never known that. We haven't gone through that. And that can be unsettling, but we have in Jesus Christ somebody who has been there and who has overcome. Not only has Jesus gone through death itself, but he has come out on the other side in, in his bodily resurrection, and he has entered into the holy place in heaven. He has gone into glory. The old covenant priest went into a replica. Look at, uh, look at I'm bleeding into next week here, but look at chapter 8, verse 1 here. We have such a high priest who has undertaken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and notice what he says, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Your priest has gone into the real tabernacle. Remember, when God told Moses to make the tabernacle, he said, be careful how you make it. Make sure you do everything according to my instructions. The reason that he wanted Moses to be so careful was because it was a typological replica of a truth about the tabernacle God has in heaven. And so the author of Hebrews is saying the permanency of Jesus Christ is brought to its climax in that he, as our forever priest, has gone into the forever tabernacle. He has gone into the place uh, where no sinner could go. He has gone into the place where holiness dwells, where righteousness dwells. The Bible says that righteousness is the foundation of the Lord's throne. The Bible says that God dwells in uh, light. He covers himself with light as with a garment. Who can go into such a holy place? Even when Isaiah saw only a vision of that place, 
He cried out, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Then uh, that was just getting a vision of it. But your priest has gone to that very place. He has not just gone into a typological uh, replica of that place here on earth, a tabernacle made by human hands. But Jesus Christ has gone into a tabernacle where God is. And so he says he continues forever. He holds his priesthood permanently. Now notice what the author of Hebrews then says in light of this. Look at verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. That is because of the permanency of Jesus' priesthood, the application he is making is what? He is able to save you to the utmost. Whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or whether you're still searching out Christianity and you're not certain where you stand with the Lord, here is what the author of Hebrews wants you to see. The, the permanency of Jesus' per, priesthood is given to you, set forth before you, so that you would what? You would trust in Christ. The, the temptation, as we have seen in the past, for the the original audience of this book was that they wanted to drift away from Christ. They were being tempted to leave Christ and to go back into the shadows of the old covenant. But here, the argument that is being made is don't do that. You are leaving the greater for the lesser if you do that. Jesus Christ and his permanent priesthood is set before you so that you would put your faith And you would believe and you would confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that he is your savior, that he is your priest, he is your prophet, he is your king. Notice he says he is able to save. Now the New American Standard translates this forever, but then they put a footnote completely. That is Christ is able to save forever. You could think of that in terms of time. Or you could think of it in terms of uh not just quantity, but qualitatively. You are wholly saved by Christ because of Christ's priesthood. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is in the room with the Father, and what is he doing? He has presented his blood to the Father. Therefore, anyone who believes on Jesus Christ you have a better sacrifice now. You have a blood that will forgive you of human sin. Your personal sin is washed away by what Jesus did on the cross. God vindicating him, raising him bodily from the dead, and he ascends into the presence of God. And as he ascends into the presence of God, he does so as a priest. But his priesthood doesn't stop at the cross that verse 25 is saying that his priesthood continues for you in that he lives to make intercession for you. So Jesus is continuing to serve you as a priest. He served you as a priest in his earthly ministry, but he continues to serve you as a priest in his heavenly ministry. This is uh, what we see in in the New Testament. For example, I think with uh, Luke's two volumes, you have... The Gospel of Luke, which is what? It's about Jesus' earthly ministry. And then you have the book of Acts, which is what? It's Luke telling you about Jesus' heavenly ministry. 
What did Jesus, what does Jesus do in his heavenly ministry? He gives you the Holy Spirit. He makes intercession for you. You know, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that if you could hear Jesus praying for you on the other side, you wouldn't worry about anything. Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for you. Jesus Christ lives to pray for you. Jesus Christ prays for you uh, individually. He lives and he prays for you corporately as a church. And so we have this confidence to come to Jesus Christ, who is a better priest. He is able to save also completely. If you take the language of Romans chapter 8, what does this mean? It means that Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection justifies you, he doesn't stop at justification, does he? Your salvation is more than justification. You know that, right? Your salvation is more than justification. As important as justification is. But he who justified you will sanctify you. How does he sanctify you? As a priest, what is he doing? He's giving you the Holy Spirit as a priest today. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has secured the Holy Spirit, and he gives the Spirit. He gives grace in the Spirit to you as a believer through what even what we're doing right now. We, the reason we gather together, the reason we emphasize the importance of the corporate gathering of the church is that we might receive the blessings of Christ's priesthood. I'm not a priest, except in any sense other than you are. The minister is a servant of the gospel. He is to preach Christ. My job is not to direct you to me and to the elements. My job is to direct you through the word and through these elements to Christ. Because he's a better priest. He's the priest that you need. He's the priest who has the real ability to say, Te absolvo. <laughs> I forgive you, if you needed interpretation of tongues there. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the one who forgives sins. If you're coming and you've got a bad conscience because you really blew it this week with your children, you really blew it with your wife, and you're, you're coming in here feeling a little sheepish, you know, look to Jesus Christ. You know, boys and girls, if you, if you had a really bad attitude this week with mom and dad, and you, you know, look to Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Jesus Christ is what you and I need this week. That's what we need right now. Jesus Christ can give you only that which no mere man can give you. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God of God and yet truly a man. Jesus Christ is able to do what no one else can do. Jesus Christ uh, even puts it up front, doesn't he? In his, in his ministry, even, um, you know, you think of the, the people who came and they brought their paralytic friend through the roof. And what is the first thing that Jesus Christ deals with there? Is the sins of the man. Your sins are forgiven, and this created quite a, a, a stir, at least inwardly, in the thoughts of many in the audience. Who is able to forgive sins but God? And, you know, Jesus could have said, yes, that's the point. 
That Jesus Christ as our priest is able to do what the Levites could never do, what the sons of Aaron could never do. Jesus Christ is able to do to the utmost. He can justify, he can sanctify, and he glorifies. Jesus Christ saves. Jesus Christ heals us in, our, in the totality of our humanity. Jesus Christ saves our soul. Jesus Christ helps us in every faculty of our being is, is, is the salvation of God is brought to bear on the entirety of our humanity. And in the last day, he will prove it by the resurrection of your body. That even your body, which is lying in a cemetery, turning into dust, God will raise up on the last day. That body is still united to Christ. But Christ's priesthood is not finished yet. He will bring back to life your physical body, he will glorify your physical body and reunite it with your perfected soul. Jesus' priesthood secures all of this. Jesus Christ continues as a priest for you and he lives for you in heaven. Now, that's the permanency of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The second part I want you to see from our text is this, is the impeccability of Jesus Christ or the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ taken from verses 26 to 28 here. Now the permanency of Christ's priesthood would not necessarily be good news if the second part of this message was not also true. If you had a theoretically speaking, a king who could live forever, but that king was a tyrant, that would be bad news. With Jesus Christ, you are given a permanent king, prophet, and priest, but you are given one who is without any fault. He is without sin. That is, the, the second part of these verses shows us the sweetness if you will, to the permanency of Christ's office. There is a beauty and a sweetness here to this permanency of Christ's priesthood. There is a comfort that comes because we know that there is no corruption in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26 with me here. The author of Hebrews then moves to this second point here. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. And then he uses these Three or four words here. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Exalted above the heavens. Holy, innocent, and undefiled. What does that mean? Holiness, of course, it means that you are set apart unto God. Now, yes, the Levites, the, the sons of Aaron in their high priesthood, uh, were set apart unto God. They had that over their head. Holy unto the Lord it said, on the high priest turban. But again, that was always typical. It, is, it finds its fulfillment in Christ. It is Christ who was inherently holy. Aaron, we know, dies, doesn't he, on Mount Hor. Moses, you and Eleazar and Aaron go up on the mount because Aaron is going to die because he did not obey my commandment at the rock. 
And Moses takes the garments off of Aaron, and Aaron has to die. So that we see that there was no holiness inherently within Aaron himself. He ended up dying for sin. He was not entirely innocent. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He loved the Lord, but he was not innocent. He was a sinner. He was not undefiled. The Hebrews uh, chapter 8 and 9 make it clear. Hebrews chapter 9, excuse me, uh, Le- Levitic- Leviticus chapter 9, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 9 makes it clear that he had to offer sacrifices first for himself and then for the people of God. But Jesus Christ did not have to offer any sacrifice for himself, being one who is both God and man. He was able to present himself before God as one who is truly innocent on that cross. So there is some significance, you know, even to the judgment of Pilate when he said, I find no guilt in this man. That he was declared to be righteous, innocent on that cross, bearing your sin and my sin. If Jesus had sinned, if he had been defiled himself, he could not take your sin. He could not wear your sin. But Jesus Christ being holy, truly inherently holy, truly innocent before the law, he never sinned in word, he never sinned in thoughts or deeds. Jesus lived a righteous life, a perfect life, a complete and holy life in every aspect of his humanity. He resisted every temptation that the devil threw at him. He was completely uh, without any stain. He was undefiled, separated from sinners in the sense that he was apart from sinners. He was not a child uh, of Adam in, in, in the sense that he shared in Adam's guilt and transgression. But he bore our sins. All of that had to be necessary for him to bear your sins on the cross. You have a a priest who is without sin. Even in the Old Covenant, God's people were forbidden to offer any sacrificial animal that had a blemish. Why? Why does Malachi, in chapter 1, verse 8, complain to the people of God about the sacrifices they were offering. He says, why don't you offer those animals to your governor? You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't offer these animals with uh, eye defects and uh, other types of deformities, would you, to your governor? You wouldn't do that. Why do you offer them to me? Why was it necessary that the animal have no blemish? Because it was to point to the impeccability of Jesus Christ. The reason that that was so important was because God in the fullness of time was going to send forth one who would be a man yet without sin to substitute himself for you. You know, John Gresham Machen, when he was dying, had these thoughts about the impeccability of Christ. Many of you, I know, know these words, but some of you may not. When Machen was dying, he sent a telegram to Dr. John Murray. Dr. Murray was a fellow faculty member at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And Machen was in Bismarck, in the Dakotas, and he was dying of pneumonia. And he had a telegram sent before he died to John Murray. Uh, remember that you know, both these men you know, were bachelors, and they were the closest of friends in... Um, the seminary, 
And Machen said in that telegram, he said, thank God for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. Now, what was Machen thinking about as he was dying? He was thinking about the impeccability of Christ, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What are you going to be thinking about when you're dying? What, 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 are you, what are you going to meditate on as when it, it finally dawns on you, I'm not going to recover? What are you going to do when the doctor says there's not much more we can do? You need to get your house in order. What are you going to think on? Now, I'm not saying this is the only thing you can think on, but, but for Machen, it was really the theme of what we find here in Hebrews 7, wasn't it? Why did he say, thank God for the active obedience of Christ? What is the active obedience of Christ? It is Jesus Christ doing everything that the Father commanded him to do and doing it sinlessly and perfectly. The reason Machen said, thank God for the active obedience of Christ, no hope without it, is because he realized that it is the sinlessness of Jesus Christ that is his righteousness. It, it is the... It is the obedience of God in Christ. It is the obedience of Christ before God. Let me put it that way. It is the obedience of Christ before God by which you and I can stand with confidence before a God who is infinitely holy and righteous. The devil is going to want you to think about all your failures in life. You did this. You committed this sin. You did that. You failed to do this. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he will come and he will try to bring charges against your conscience so as to shake a sense of your position before God. What Machen was doing, and what the author of Hebrews is saying here, is think on this. Think on not just all the faults of yourself as a sinner before God and all the things that you grieve over and you're ashamed about and you wish you had never said and you wish you had never done, all the things that you've ever done that are wrong, but also to look beyond that to everything that Jesus Christ has done that is right. To look on to Jesus Christ who is truly holy, truly innocent, truly undefiled, truly separated from sinners who came into the world not to condemn you but to save you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so we are to look to Jesus Christ and say, thank God for the obedience and the sinlessness of Jesus because I know that because Jesus is sinless, two things are true. One, my sins can go to Jesus. And two, his righteousness can come to me. I know that because Jesus had a perfect life, and I believe on him and that perfect life he lived, two things are promised to me. One, I will be forgiven. And I will, too, secondly, be declared righteous. Because the righteousness of God is received by faith. Let me say this as, as 
we, uh, we close. As I started off in the introduction, I think this is especially true not only for all of us, but for you young people who are barraged on every side to leave Jesus Christ. You who are being told by the media, by the culture at large, that you should move away from your parents' faith. I would say to you today that you do the very opposite. I would suggest that the reason our culture is so troubled as it is, is because we have been moving away from Jesus Christ. And so young people, teenagers, I would encourage you to put your faith, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, to do so soon, even now. Even where you are seated, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith that he is perfect and that he is permanent. You can rely on him. God has given him to you to save you, not to condemn you. Think on who he is. Think on what he's done. Think on his perfection. Think on his beauty. Think on his holiness. Think on his substitutionary death. Think, in, think on his vicarious resurrection from the dead. Think about his ascension and presentation of himself before the Father. Think about his prayers for you. Think about his coming again in majesty, glory, and power. Think about his future coming to raise us from the dead. All of these things and more. Jesus Christ is set before us. Go to him now. Believe on him. You know, I would urge you not to put it off. It's really, this Christmas season is one of the most important things you could do during your Christmas break. Now that you have more time, now that you have more opportunity, now that you don't have the demands of the classroom and the homework, now is an opportune time to really dig into the scriptures, to really give yourself to prayer and to seeking the Lord, and to try to close your life on Jesus Christ, really to lay hold of Jesus Christ. And, and like that woman with the bleeding problem, just to say, you know, if I could just reach out and grab Jesus by the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be healed. I know that I'll be saved. If I can just lay hold of him, Lord, help me. You know, pray that. If you're having trouble believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then ask God for help in believing in Jesus Christ. If you're having trouble living a life for Christ, well, then ask the Lord. What does our text say? He lives to make intercession for you. Ask the Lord to pray for you. Ask the Lord to give you his spirit, to help you to see with eyes of faith, to be able to hear the messages with ears that can hear, with a heart that is warm, a heart that is sensitive, a heart that is no longer uh, distant and hard and stony but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. To those of us who are older, we too need to remember the permanency and the impeccability of Jesus Christ. We too uh, will be one day where Machen was. We will be on a bed and we will need to say, what is my foundation? We, we will be heading into eternity. It is appointed unto man to die. And then comes what? The judgment. And we will need to check our foundation and say, what is my foundation for this judgment day? What is my, what is my security? What is my shelter? What is my fortress in this day where I stand before my maker and I give an account for my life? 
A God who is holy, a God who is infinite, a God who is wonderful, a God who is terrible, a God who is all righteous, a God who can only have righteousness in his presence. Where, where do I go? What do I do? I go to Christ. I go to Jesus as my priest. I look for a priest. And I look to him who came into this world, not after the order of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. A priest forever. A priest who is also king. A priest who is also a prophet. A priest who is also uh, no mere man, but both man and God in one person. This is the priest I need. This is the priest that God has given you. This is the priest that you go to. This is the priest where you confess your sins. This is the priest where you receive your forgiveness. This is the priest whom you love. This is the priest whom you follow. This is the priest that you rely on. This is the priest that you stand on on the day of judgment. Do you know that priest? Are you ready to lie in that bed one day and to say, thank God for the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the permanency of Jesus' priesthood. Thank God I've been given a better priest. Thank God, oh Lord, that I have an impeccable priest, this priest without sin, who died for me and has been raised for my justification.